<laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us. I thank you for your provision. You are a good father who provides for his kids. And we honor you in $100,000 of excess that we are able to give away for what you're doing all over the world. So we honor you. We thank you. I thank you for these who have joined our church family. Thank you for the way that you have brought us together as family to worship together, to challenge one another and encourage one another, to sharpen one another. So we thank you for the unique local expression here at MCC of your body. And Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you are the kind of God who wants to reveal himself to us. And that you have spoken clearly by written word and by living word in Jesus, the God-man who has come to reveal what you are like. So Jesus, we honor you. We thank you for being here with us. And Holy Spirit, you are the very presence of the Father and the Son here with us. You have been given to teach and to convict and to comfort and to guide. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you to do all of that and more here in this place. So we offer you this time. We ask that you would come and be with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Glad to see you. If you would, turn into your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we are continuing our series entitled Astonished, Walking Through the Attributes of God. If you are online, we're glad that you're here with us as well. We are increasingly moving towards Resurrection Sunday. We have three weeks left, three attributes left as well. This morning, we are looking at the jealous God. Next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we'll look at the missional God. And then Resurrection Sunday, we are looking at the victorious God. Yes. And so uh, that will be the climax of our Astonished series will be Resurrection Sunday. So I invite you to come and be a part of that. This Sunday, however, we are looking at the jealous God. And I just want to be honest with you. Um, this makes me nervous <laughs> to talk about this attribute. It makes me a little nervous. It makes me feel like a toddler playing around in a nuclear reactor. You know what I'm saying? Because this topic is not a game to God. <laughs> and so I feel a little bit nervous that we are not trivial with the things that God finds very important. So if you would be praying for me as we look at the text and as we work through this attribute together, the jealous God. 
The message is in two parts. Part one, we're just going to look at the attribute itself. That's Exodus 20, verses 1 to 6. And then part two, we're going to look at the application. How would we apply this attribute as we understand it? And we're going to pick up on Exodus 32 to 34, which is basically the golden calf incident (laughs) that the people of God commit against God while Moses is getting the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. So we're going to look at the attribute first. Then we're going to look at the application. What does that mean? And I'm, I, th- that application is specifically for MCC. What is God saying to us as a people? Because sometimes when we read the Bible, we naturally put ourselves in the good guy part in the story. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like we naturally see ourselves as like the, the really loyal people. And the challenge for us this morning is, could it be, could it be, that we are more like the people of God giving into idolatry than actually being pure and devoted to God? That's the question as we look at the application. So let us jump into the text. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. Part 1 is the attribute itself. So just to locate ourselves in the text, uh, the people of God have been in Egypt. They've been in Egypt for many, 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 many years. Moses comes. He sees a burning bush. God says to him, Set my people free. Go to Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh to set my people free. Moses goes to Pharaoh. Long story short, people are coming outside of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're at Sinai. And Moses goes up to this mountaintop, and he spends 40 days and 40 nights with Yahweh, with the God who created all things. And God begins to speak to Moses. This cloud drops down onto the top of this mountain, and God begins to speak to Moses, and the people of God are just at the bottom of the mountain like this. Right? They're just waiting. 40 days and 40 nights. And Moses is up there, and God is speaking to Moses, and the the climax of what he's saying is called the Ten Commandments. That's this text, Exodus 20. But it's not just the Ten Commandments. From Exodus 20 all the way to Exodus 31 is all the instruction of God that he gives to Moses up on the mountain while he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. So we're we're right here at the beginning, Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. Let's read the text. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. There's a lot there 
Three things I just want to pick up from this section. Number one, God's jealousy is not like our sinful jealousy. Anytime we talk about the attribute of the jealousy of God, we start to think, wait, isn't that bad? Isn't jealousy bad? Like, if we're jealous, it is a bad thing. But how is it that God, who is perfect, can be jealous? Well, just look over at verse 17. One of the commandments here, actually the final one, verse 17 says, You shall not covet. Everyone say covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male servant or female servant or ox or donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So jealousy and covetousness are, are linked somehow, if you think about that just conceptually. Jealousy on our part, on human part, as sinful is when I want something that's not mine, it's yours. Y'all hear what I'm saying? That's when jealousy is sinful because I look at someone and I say, Jake's got something I want, and I'm jealous of it, and I want, I want it. I'm jealous of what he has. So that becomes sinful. But when God is jealous, it's because he's jealous for something that is his already. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? He, he's not looking after something that's ours, that he doesn't own. He's jealous for what is his, in fact. So the difference between divine jealousy and human sinful jealousy is that when God is jealous for something, it's, it's his, and he wants everyone to acknowledge that it's his. And sinful jealousy is, I want what you got, <laughs> because it's not mine, and I want to take it, or I'm going to feel bad about myself because I don't have it. So that's the, the big difference between God's jealousy, which is pure, and human jealousy, which is sinful, is this issue of covetousness. It's something that is not mine that I want. So when God is jealous for something, it is something that is rightfully his, and he's jealous for it. So you may ask, okay, well, what exactly is he jealous for? <laughs> Second point, he is jealous for our undivided worship. Look at the text again. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says, I'm the one who rescued you. You were enslaved in Egypt, and I'm the one who came. I heard your cry, and I came and rescued you. With a powerful arm, I rescued you from slavery. I am the one who has brought you to this place, who has freed you from this slavery. He says, and you shall have no other gods before me. There are no other gods that saved you. I saved you. You do know that in Egypt, there were a multitude of gods. There's a bunch of gods in Egypt. And in that culture, you might have the god of the Nile, right? In fact, all the plagues, the signs and wonders in Egypt, all of them that God enacted upon the Egyptians are tied to one of the gods of Egypt. So that's kind of a meta theme there. But each of the, like the Nile, all the livestock being killed, all of those plagues are tied directly to one of the gods in Egypt. And it's like God saying, I'm the boss and I will take out all of your gods, by the way while I set my people free. Anyway, that's, that's just bonus information. So he says, you shall have no other gods. You're coming out of a place where there are a bunch of gods. Listen, you're not going to be that way with me. This is all covenant language. When Moses is up on the mountain, it's like God saying to Moses, listen, listen, come here. I rescued you. Now we got some rules of engagement. It's called a covenant. And this is how it works. If you're going to be with me and I'm going to be with you, this is how we're going to behave. 
Here are the things I'm going to do, and here are the things you're going to do. And oh, by the way, if you don't do those things, the covenant is broken, I'm done. That's how covenants work. That's why all this language of iniquity and curses and blessing and obedience are all tied into the covenant. He's establishing the rules of engagement. But the ultimate language here for rescuing the people of God is for the purpose of worship. Look at verse 4. And verse 5 it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or the earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. He says, listen, you're not going to take like a little piece of wood, carve like a little figurine, put that on the ground, and then bow to it like that figurine is the one that rescued you. You're not going to do that because that's what was happening. And this language of serve he says, you're not to bow down to them or serve them. That's worship language. I saved you so that you would serve me. I saved you so that you would worship me. Anytime God spoke through Moses to Pharaoh, remember what, what Moses would say? He said, God wants his people to go out into the wilderness to serve him, to worship him. That was all that language, worship, worship, Worship. So God is after undivided. I don't want any other gods for you to worship. You're going to worship me. And he says in that context, I am a jealous God. I am jealous for your undivided attention and undivided worship. Now let's get this into, because that's all abstract. What does that mean for us? Cincinnati, Ohio, 2021. What does that mean? Like, how, how does that actually play out? Another image that God uses of this idolatry is adultery. So imagine the anger and pain of a spouse who runs away from you and cheats on you with someone else. You, you know what I'm talking about? Can you feel that, that thing inside? In fact, the word jealous, the root is the word red. So you can almost see like red flushing in the neck and on the cheeks of this anger. And he uses idolatry, God does, as spiritual adultery, that you're cheating on God by worshiping other things. And there's this anger and this rage inside. Another way to think about it would be this. God does not want us to incorporate him into our life. He wants to be our life. He is not interested in you incorporating him. Well, on Sunday, I, I, you and me, we're good Sunday. <laughs> Monday, I got stuff to do, Yahweh. I got, I got stuff to do, right? I got, I got TikTok videos to film. I got a job. I got a boss who's like asking me to. No, he doesn't want to be incorporated. And you've heard this analogy like if so, on someone's phone. In fact, when Mark put the picture up, you know how one of the apps is the church center app. So many have used this example. God doesn't want to be one of the apps on your phone. He wants to be the entire operating system to the phone. He doesn't want to be like, Oh, I'm a little bored right now. Let me, okay, I'll do the God app, and I'll, now I'm going to spend some time with God. He doesn't want to be incorporated into our own schedule. He wants to be our schedule. 
He doesn't want to be incorporated into your 24 hours when you get around to it. He wants to be all of them, all 24 hours. He says, I'm jealous for you. I desire you. I love you. I want to be with you. He wants relationship with us, and he is jealous for it. What does it make you feel to know that God is jealous for you? What does that make you feel? That God is jealous for your time. He's jealous for your attention. He's jealous for your heart. And the way this plays out, God is jealous for his covenant. Covenant is this relationship language. He's jealous for his covenant. If you break this covenant, look, look how he describes it. <laughs> Verse 5, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Everyone say, hate me. God sees idolatry as you hate me. And he says, this is all covenant. If you, if you don't worship me, I'm going to visit that sin, the sin, your sin, on children to the third and fourth generation. Like he's not playing, right? He, he is so committed to his covenant. He goes, I'm going to hold my end of the bargain. I'm asking you to hold your end of the bargain. Now we know from the story, do the people of God hold up their end of the bargain? Answer is no. Do they regularly break up with God? Yes. So, we have a problem, don't we? God said, if you do this, <laughs> we're done. And yet God's people remain. What, what happened? Listen, he is so jealous for his covenant that he will do his part and our part of the covenant. Let me say that again because I don't think you heard it. He is so jealous for his covenant with his people, he will do his part of the covenant and he will do our part of the covenant for us. Did you hear what I just said? He is so jealous for his covenant for his people that he'll do his part and he will do their part too. You say, Jamie, what are you talking about? Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. He's talking about this exact scenario. Not like that covenant. My covenant that they broke. Everyone say broke. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declare the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. How does he do this, friends? How does a righteous, holy God who says, if you do not worship me, I will visit iniquity on you and three or four generations of your kiddos. We're done. 
And then he's patient and he's loyal, even though he's betrayed. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to have a new covenant. It's going to be even better than the one that they broke before. Do you know how he does it? A man named Jesus, and he says this. This is Matthew 26, 28 to 29. Jesus says, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the new covenant. Listen. The good news is this. You and I, every single one of us, has broken the law with God. That's good news, by the way. <laughs> Every single one of us. Like, none of us are pure in his, in his sight. None of us. And he has said, you have to be perfect so we can be in relationship. And none of us are there. We've all broken it. But God says, I so love you that I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain and I'm going to come in your place and hold up your end of the bargain for you. You see, God comes in human flesh. He comes into our space and he takes on our sin. At the cross, Jesus became your sin and my sin. At the cross, he becomes the sin of the world. He becomes the covenant-breaking, idolatrous adultery of the world. Jesus becomes it on the cross. And the wrath of God towards your sin and my sin is poured out on Jesus. The wrath of God is poured out on God. He takes up his end of the bargain and our end of the bargain and then says to us, if you'll come to me, you will be righteous and I will forgive you. He is so jealous for his relationship with his people, he will do his part and our part for us. It, it's absolutely mind-boggling. And that's why it's called good news. You know, it's funny. We Christians, we should be the most gracious, grateful, joyful, delightful people to be with. Because we are the one people who have received joyful, delightful, gracious mercy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no other religious system has a God who says, if you break the rules, I'll kill you. And oh, by the way, I'm going to fulfill the rules for you. Come to faith in me. No other religious system has this. <laughs> No other God says, I love you so much. I'm going to do my part and your part by faith. Through Jesus, you can come. He is so jealous for his covenant, he sends Jesus to die and fulfill the covenant for us. That's why when, when Paul says, there is salvation found in no one else. L listen to me, friend. <laughs> That's why the gospel is inclusive. Anyone can come. Anyone can come and receive forgiveness. It is inclusive. And it is exclusive. You must come through Jesus. Are y'all hearing me? And, and when we don't see that, we actually don't see a jealous God who says, this is the way I'm going to save you. And we say, no, no, it's fine. We'll just, we'll just do it this way. God is okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. He is jealous for the exclusivity of Jesus. 
That's why we talk about Jesus all the time over here. Like, I want to see Jesus. He is jealous for our exclusivity to Jesus. Okay. Part two. Part two. (laughs) Because there's another part to the story. Exodus chapter 32. Turn there with me. I told you that Exodus chapter 20 to Exodus chapter 31 is Moses receiving not just the Ten Commandments, but all the law, all the instruction. This is how I want you to make the tabernacle. This is how I want you to have the outer courts, the inner courts. Here's the Holy of Holies. Here's all the furniture that goes in the Holy of Holies. These are the cubits. This way, this way, this way, this way. Right? I mean, it's just exhaustive. Chapters 20 to 31. It's 40 days and 40 nights. I'm sure there's more than just those chapters because you can read it in 15 minutes. So 40 days, I'm not sure, right? But still, the concept, you get it. So look at the text, friends. This is Exodus 31, right before 32 starts. Look at verse 18. (laughs) And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, 40 days, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. So Yahweh takes these stone tablets with his own finger and writes out those Ten Commandments. And then chapter 32 hits. Let me just say this. God couldn't even finish giving instructions to Moses when the people of God had already broke his rule. Are you all hearing me this morning? He couldn't even get down the mountain with the instructions and the people of God have already broken the first and second commandment. He can't get, I I don't know if he's repelling, I don't know what he's doing. He can't even repel down the mountain and they've already broken it. That's what we see in, in chapter 32. The reason I press that is you and I are not that different, friends. Yeah, we don't have idols that are like little pieces of wood that are carved, and we don't bow down to them. We have more sophisticated idols. Like for me, it's the idol of approval. Like for many years, I would specifically say things and do things to ensure approval on the part of those around me. For some, the idol is financial security. As long as I have enough money in savings, I'm going to be okay. And just a tip, this is how you know something is an idol in your life. You ready? This is how you know. When you get explosively angry or explosively afraid out of nowhere, 
that is a huge flag that your idol is being threatened. When you are explosive, and I know I'm yelling, I'm not angry, I'm, I'm kind of angry, but not in that way. When you are explosively angry and explosively afraid and consumed with fear, your idol, whatever it is, is being threatened. That's why you're reacting that way. An idol is anything that I believe will save me. An idol is anything I believe will bring me peace, security, fulfillment, and joy. <laughs> and anything can become an idol. Have you ever heard of a thing called binge watching? <laughs> like when you're super stressed out and you think to yourself, you know what, I just need to watch Netflix for six hours and then I'll be fine. Right? I, I, I need to decompress, so I just need to veg out on social media for a little bit. <laughs> or I'm super stressed and the refrigerator is stocked with all kinds of taste. And oh, by the way, I've done all of those, so don't, I'm not pointing fingers. Anything that you think to yourself, if I could just get that, everything will be fine. I'll be saved. If she'll just see me this way, then I'm good. You know, someone else can be an idol in your life. If I could just meet that special someone to complete me, then I'm saved. You, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? If I, just, if I just get that job and have that approval at work, everything will be fine. Our idols are much more sophisticated. If my team, and Royce and I were talking about this, if my team loses in the first round of the tournament, then my life, I'm sorry, Buckeye, my life, my life falls apart. I'm wearing green and gold because go Baylor Bears. Y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm saying? Right? If your team wins, you're like, yeah. If your team loses, you're in depression for three days. And I've done that. And then we come into worship, and I'm like, I'm just not inspired. I sure was inspired when my team won, though. Are y'all hearing me this morning? I don't think we're hearing me. I don't think you're hearing me. Because when my team wins, I'm like, yeah! And worship starts. I'm not feeling it. The bass is off. The preacher, oh gosh, what's he talking about now? Oh, gosh, it's just, it's not touching me. What? That's because I'm full of idols, and when I walk into a space where the true God is, I can't worship him because I'm full with idols. I've been worshiping all week. The reason my heart isn't on fire when I walk into this space, and, and it happens to me more than I want it to, the reason my heart is not on fire for Jesus is because I've been coddling idols all week. And there is a jealous God who is coming after MCC. He's coming after this church. 
with a vengeance. You see, he's not playing with worship. Remember a couple weeks ago, I was preaching on, I think I was preaching on the eternality of God, and I walked into the room, and I I came up here, and I was like, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time just being up here because we're so trivial in our approach to God. We're just like, just waltzing on in. Okay, here we go. Worship time. No, no, no. actually, he's the creator of the universe. He spoke galaxies into being, and he died on the cross, shed his blood for your sin. And has said, why don't you come and worship me? And it's better than the Bears or anybody else winning the March Madness. I guarantee you, it's better. And if we could actually see it, it would always be better. Always, every single time. But our eyes get blinded to the glory of who he is and to the gospel in such a way that even when someone reads the Bible, they're like, this is boring. That worship service, the music was off. (sighs) He's jealous for your worship. Not just Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock starting Easter Sunday, right? He's jealous for Monday morning. When you open your eyes, he is jealous for your worship. And when you get into that meeting and that coworker says that thing to you that drives you up, like back here, you're like, ooh, I could punch you in the face so bad. Like, not my coworkers. I'm not talking, you know. I mean, it's y'all I'm talking about. All right. He wants your worship then. And when your bank account, you're like, what? He wants your worship then. And when that image on the screen and you think, hmm. Or you take a double, double look. Y'all know what I'm talking about? He wants your worship then. He wants your worship. He is jealous for it. Idolatry happens when I forget the good news of the gospel. All right, practical applications from the text. Number one. Instability and fear is the soil of idolatry. Look at the text. This is chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed. Everyone say delayed. When the, people, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Hey, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this Moses, that man, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. When you are experiencing delay in your life, confusion, and fear, that is fertile soil for idolatry. Let me say that again. When you are experiencing delay, instability, and fear, that is fertile soil for idolatry. I don't know, maybe like something called COVID, where there's delay, instability, And fear everywhere is fertile soil for idolatry. Because when I'm afraid, unstable, things don't seem right, I feel like it's a delay, I feel like I'm stuck somewhere. My idol, I go, okay, which idol? Right? Because I want to solve the delay. I want to solve 
the instability. I want to solve the fear so I will reach out and grab something. And that has become my functional God in the moment. If I eat this, if I consume this, if I have this, if I look at this, if I experience this, then the instability, the fear, the delay will be removed. And they want something familiar. It's interesting. Make us gods. They go right back to where they were in Egypt. We need some gods. Remember, we were there for generations. We need gods. We need gods. They go back. They want to go back. Second, even tradition and historically good things can become idols. If you look in the text, it's interesting. Verse 2 of the text, it says, So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Does anybody know why that's significant? It's interesting. Where did, they, where did they get those earrings? Does anybody remember? The Egyptians. God said, I'm going to bless you. Not only am I getting you out of Egypt, I'm going to so bless you that the Egyptians are going to be like taking off their earrings like, here you go. Let me bless you on the way out. And by bless, it was, we're so afraid of you and your God. Get out, right? And God said, I'm going to bless you. God said, I'm going to bless you with the earrings and jewelry. They took something that was good and blessed of God that he gave them to make an idol. Are you all hearing this? <laughs> Even good things can become idols. Egypt was a good thing for Israel. Joseph says, this is Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph clearly says to his brothers, boys, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. You sent me into slavery. You wanted me dead. You sent me here for evil, but God did all of this. Us coming to Egypt to be spared was a good thing. Let me just say something, MCC. We have a really interesting moment with COVID. You know, it'd be really tempting for us as a church to come out of COVID and want to go back to all the traditions and historical things that God has done in the past in this church. But what if God is doing a new thing? Am I saying tradition is bad? No. Am I saying historical things are bad? No. I'm saying we need to be really careful about God did it this way. He wants to do it again after COVID that same way. Are y'all hearing me? Even historically good things that God has blessed in the past can become an idol for the present and the future. One of the favorite lines of every church I've ever been in. We've always done it that way. <laughs> That's how we've always done it. Be careful. Be careful. What is God doing now and in the future? You say, well, how would we know? Third point. <laughs> Leaders, be careful who you listen to. Look at the text. Aaron. <laughs> Aaron is getting bombarded by the crowd, by the people of God. He's like, okay, 
Take off your rings, blah, blah, blah. He takes the gold. He fashions it with a graving tool and makes a golden calf, this bull. And then says, these are your gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I mean, it's just, it's, it. <laughs> and then when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before this God and he made proclamation, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So they rose up early the next day and they partied and they celebrated. You see, who is Moses listening to, literally? God on the mountain, right? Who's Aaron listening to? <laughs> the people of God. We need to be very careful about who we listen to. Who you listen to could mean the difference between whether you are worshiping the true God or walking into idolatry. Now, you may say to me, Jamie, that's not fair. I mean, Moses is on the mountain. <laughs> you know? I mean, Moses is on the mountain. Aaron doesn't have access to God like that. Aaron's not able to hear God speak to him, right? So we can't really blame Aaron. Well, it's interesting. There were, there were people in the people of God that didn't go along with this. We find out later that the Levites did none of this. Do you all remember this? Moses comes down and says, who's, who's faithful to God? And the Levites all show up. That means they were not a part of the idol worship. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm, I'm inferring, it's not in the text. Aaron had a choice to listen to the Levites or the rest of the people. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So not only do we need to be listening to God, but choose carefully who you listen to in the family. You may want to look at them and say, and, and, and be discerning, does this person, is this person on fire for God and listening to God? Because I want to listen to that person. Or am I going to listen to someone who is very persuasive and I have a lot of respect for, but they're not listening to God? I don't care how wise they are. If they are not listening to God, you should not be listening to them. Can we receive truth from someone who's not listening to God? Absolutely. But be careful who you are listening to. You see, we're all leaders, and we are all leading those in our sphere of influence to worship God or idols. My kids are learning whether to worship God or idols by my behavior and Jess's behavior. This isn't, this isn't well, I'm not a ministry leader. No, you, but you're a leader. Every single one of us have people in your life that are looking at you. Who are you listening to, and where are you leading them? in their worship. That's why the presence of God illuminating the word of God is one of the most important moments of my day. Because I don't want to be Aaron. I, I want to be in relationship with the creator of the universe and listening to what he says. You know, my, my sermon writing is basically like, I mean, I've got commentaries, I read, I study. But at the end of the day, I'm like, Abba, what do you want to say? Because I can listen to these commentators who are good, godly people, 
but I really want to hear what you have to say to your people. And the same is true for you. Who are you listening to? Fourth, we need covenant renewal. Even as believers, say we come to faith in Christ, we've been set free, redeemed, we have the spirit of the living God living within us, we still are tempted by idols. <laughs> so we need covenant renewal. The end of this scenario in chapter 34, Moses says, Moses quickly bowed his head. This is chapter 34, verse 8. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. He said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. It's interesting. Chapters 33 and 34, what happens, I, I don't have time to get into it, what happens is God says to Moses, Listen, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send my angel to lead you, but I'm not going with you because if I go with you, I'm going to destroy all of you, is what he said, because of the golden calf incident. He said, I'm not even going to go with you anymore. I got one of my angels. Hey, but I don't know, Gabriel, Michael, I don't know. Go. You lead him. But I can't go with you. God says this. I cannot go with you because if not, I'll destroy you. And Moses is like, please. He says, if you do not go with us, I'm not going, is what Moses says. And he bows down and he worships. It's interesting, he worships. Isn't that interesting? Confession and worship. He worships God. He says, forgive our iniquity. You see, when you and I are caught in idolatry and we realize it, like some of you are realizing it right now, when you realize it, the first step is to say, I'm sorry. And I want your presence with me. Because if you're not going with me, I'm not going. I'm not moving from here until you and I get right. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? There is a renewal of the covenant. There is appeal to grace. There is appeal to the gospel again, fresh. Sometimes this will happen to me like on a Thursday afternoon, right? <laughs> when I realize, I'm like, no, no. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's covenant renewal. Next Sunday, we're going to have a baptism. And uh, we're, you're going to hear a testimony. I don't wanna, I'm not going to steal the testimony. But we're going to hear a testimony from someone who has experienced this renewal. And has already been baptized. Who wants to get baptized again <laughs> as a sign I'm all in with Jesus. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? There may be some of you who you say, you know what? Next week, I'm getting in the water too. I want to start fresh with Jesus. Covenant renewal. And finally, God's glory combats idle temptations. Moses says, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And, I was, and band, why don't you come on up? We're getting ready to worship. You see, Moses understands something that I, I want to make sure that we understand. Your idols and the temptation to those idols fade in direct proportion to your ability to see the glory of God in your life. So 
It's like this. Instead of looking at an idol and going, no, I don't, I no, 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 no. It's better to go, show me how awesome you are so I don't even see that thing. Are y'all, y'all hearing what I'm saying? It's much easier to go, would you enrapture me? Would you show me how glorious you are? I want to see you in all of your glory. One, because it's purely satisfying and all this temptation stuff can't even get to my eyeballs because I'm stuck looking at you. As opposed to, no, 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 no. I better not, I better not, I better not. You see the difference between the two? Start saying, show me your glory and watch idols fall. As a senior leadership team of this church, we've been saying, God, would you show your glory? Would you come and bring your glory here into this place? Would you fill this place with so much glory that we can't even talk? The preachers can't preach. The singers can't sing because your glory and your presence is so thick here in this place. That's a better way to fight idols than you better not do this. 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 How about we are so enraptured with him that we don't even see it? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to worship. And some of you are, your heart is calloused right now. But you say, I want to worship. I want to worship him. Let me encourage you. Sing. Here's the deal. Sometimes people will sing words and you're like, but those words aren't true, right? You'll see words on the screen. You'll start to sing them and you say, but that's not true, I don't actually love you with my whole heart. I, that's not true. And for some of us, like, I'm the kind of person, I, I don't want to say something that's not true, right? But what I've learned is I'm going to sing those words, and then I'm asking the Holy Spirit, change my heart in such a way that those words are true. And I'm going to sing until you change. And some of you may need to just bow low, like Moses did. He bowed down and worship. Some of you may need to ask the question, Father, are there idols that I, I'm not seeing? You may need to just spend a few moments. So we're going to have a, just a free time to worship. If you want to walk around, fine. If you want to get on the floor, fine. You want to cry, fine. You want to laugh, fine. This is a time for our family to say, we are renewing our covenant with you. That we need you more than all the distractions and temptations of this world. Let's stand. Let me pray for us. Father, we come. Father, we come. And we do not come in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ who has been given to us. Because of our great high priest who has died for us and was raised for us, we approach your throne, this throne of grace, with great confidence. And Holy Spirit, I bless my brothers and sisters and myself with sensitivity to the idols that we have coddled. Holy Spirit, would you reveal those to us? 
Would you cut them out? Would you help us lay them at the feet of Jesus? We say to you fresh, we need you, Abba. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Holy Spirit. Help us to worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We confess to you there is no place we would rather be than in your presence. And we confess the times, I confess the times where I have grieved your spirit by delighting in lesser joys and consuming lesser gods. turning my back on you, the lover of my soul and the victor over my sin and death. And like Moses, we tell you, Father, if your presence does not go with us, we are not going. So show us your glory. Give us eyes to see the glory of Jesus. Change our hearts supernaturally and sovereignly to love you more than any other. Would you send your manifest glory here into this place? We repent of lesser glories. We repent of lesser delights. And we ask you to come and fill this place. Show us your glory and set my heart and our hearts on fire with zeal for Jesus. Make us obsessively, obsessively focused on the glorious Jesus Christ. Give us eyes for him alone. Give us hearts for him alone. Give us plans for him alone. Make us the kind of church that is yours alone, O jealous God. We are yours. Set us on fire for Jesus. Church, 
church family, we're going to continue to worship. I just want to encourage you. A wise man once said, you are currently enjoying as much of God as you actually want. I'm asking us as a church family, would we ask the Lord to bring more of his presence and his power, more glory to us as a church family? These next couple of songs, let us ask the Father to bless us with more of Jesus, more of his presence. That even what we have experienced as a church family pales in comparison to what he wants to do now. So let's ask him for more as we continue to worship. Father, you are good. And when we ask for your spirit, you do not give a scorpion or a stone. You give more of yourself. And we thank you for that. I thank you that you are inexhaustible to us. I hear the Lord say, if you want more, there's still more. If you want more, put your hands out. Father, would you come? Would you come? Would you come in power upon us? We're not looking, <laughs> we're not looking for experiences or feelings. We want you. We don't want something to tantalize us. We want you, Father. We want Abba in our hearts more and more and more. I bless this church. I bless this church with hunger and passion for Jesus. I bless this church with obsessiveness for the Word of God living and written. I bless this church with hunger like you have never experienced before. And I bless you. I hear the Lord say, I'm going to get you this week, he says. He says, I'm going to get you this week. There's coming a moment this week in the quietness where he is going to come upon you. Anyone who wants him, he is going to come upon you. And he is going to eradicate <laughs> these idols. He says, you want more? Keep asking. He says, MCC, if you want more, keep asking. More. We want you, Jesus. We want you, Jesus, over the village of Marymount. We want you to reign over this entire village. We thank you this was created as a utopian place. Well, why don't you come and make it a utopian place? Why don't you come and reign here in this place? Why don't you sit down in the village of Marymount and make it your place? Would you come and reign here? Would you come and reign here? And may the train of your robe fill all of Cincinnati too. Would you come? Would you bring revival and renewal? Would you bring repentance and confession? Would you bring hearts to us as your church that are tender and compassionate? Would you break us for our sin? Would you break us for our sin of prejudice? Would you make us gracious people? We say more, Father. We say more.
while we eat lunch more. At nap time this afternoon more. When we lay our heads down to sleep more. Oh, make a holy people here. Make us holy families. Make us holy fathers to our kids. Make us holy mothers to our children. Make us holy husbands and wives. Make us holy in the secret place. Make us holy in the shadows. Make us holy at work. Make us holy at play. Make us a holy people. Show us your glory. More, Lord. I leave you with this benediction. I don't know if you have that slide, Bailey. Paul, all this talk of jealousy, Paul writing to a church he loves says, I am jealous for you. I am jealous that you would be a holy and pure bride for Jesus. This is what Paul says. He says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. May we be the kind of people that are jealous for our family to be pure and wholly devoted to Jesus. Holy Spirit, make us pure. Make us pure. Make us a pure church for you. There's family, I bless you. I bless you with more this week. And all God's people said, amen. Be at peace. If you want to receive prayer, we're going to have prayer up here. But you are dismissed. Be at peace.